There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. After 413 days of life under COVID restrictions, this evening the Taoiseach announced the latest roadmap to take us out of the lockdown. As lonely as frustrating and as sad as the last year has been, we are getting through it and a degree of normality is returning. The company of friends and relations is returning. Hope is returning. Click and collect, inter-county travel, galleries, hairdressers, religious services all allowed to resume from the 10th of May with a further easing of restrictions over the following weeks. Minister for Finance Pascal Donoghue joins us in studio to discuss now, while many of us are full of hope today, some questions remain. Are we moving too fast and have some been left behind? Fianna Fáil Senator Timmy Dooley and Sinn Féin's Louise O'Reilly give us their reaction. And later, we'll be in the bearer of good news, save the government from the public's bad books. Fanon Sheehan and Alison O'Connor reflect on the announcement. Get in touch via Twitter with the hashtag TonightVMTV. We're now in studio by the Minister for Finance, Pascal Donoghue. But first, after months of lockdown, in his address to the nation earlier this evening, the Taoiseach revealed some of our old normal may be finally returning. As I've said repeatedly, we are determined to do everything we can to ensure that when we open the sector of our society, our economy, it stays open. Taking all of these factors into consideration, we now believe it is safe to continue moving forward in two phases over the coming months. The next phase will commence on the 10th of May, when a series of really important and very welcome freedoms will be restored. Hope is returning. Each and every one of us has an image in our head of a moment that we're looking forward to enjoying when we get through this. I know I have. Tonight, each and every one of us is closer to enjoying that moment than we have been for a very long time. Minister Pascal Donoghue, hope is one thing, but how confident are you that the worst is over? Uh, uh, I am confident uh, that the experiences that we've had in recent months uh, are behind us. And the reason why I am confident of that is because of the efforts of the Irish people. It is due to their efforts that we are where we are today, looking at a, more different, at a different and more positive future. But there are no guarantees and hope about a more positive future is not the same thing about that more positive future happening. And in order to turn that hope into a reality, the efforts that the Irish people have put in to get us to this point, we have to ask for their continued patience well, and I was just going to, ask that, how to implement are the measures of today. That they will continue that, that there won't be now a surge in numbers over the next few weeks, which would restrict your ability to further loosen these restrictions. Uh, I believe we can avoid that surge. Uh, across the coming weeks 
I believe that for two reasons. Uh, the first one is the quantity of vaccinations that we've done. 1.4 million vaccines have now been uh, uh, injected into arms here in Ireland. Uh, we have walk-in centres uh, which allow far more rapid testing than we've had before. And I believe they are the two reasons why across the coming weeks we can avoid a deterioration from where we are today. But beyond that, in what is a good day, it is due to patience and it is due to implementing the public health guidance up to this point. And we have to ask for that to continue to happen to get us to an even better place in the future. And yet some people are still surprised that you've speeded up as against expectations when the numbers for new confirmed cases every day are still stubbornly averaging over 400. Uh, given that we had big numbers before when you went into lockdowns, yeah. it wouldn't come out. Why are you satisfied to go now with the numbers still so high? Well, uh, it is that very point regarding the fact that our new case figures have been around 400. If per day, if you look at the total number of cases of COVID that we have in our country now, it is now comparable to where we were at the peak of the uh, last wave of COVID. But that is why we do have a cautious plan for reopening our economy. If you look at what we are doing across the coming four weeks, it is broadly in line with the exception of inter-county travel and further clarity regarding what can happen in gardens it is broadly in line with the kind of issues we said we would examine. But it is because of your very fair point regarding the risks that are still there that the implementation of the phased public health guidance that we've given is critical to us avoiding the worst scenarios that you've touched on, which I believe we will avoid, and I believe we will continue to be successful in our efforts to beat the disease. How much of this has been driven by pragmatism, that may be a feeling, growing feeling, that people would just not continue with an awful lot of the restrictions? We've seen lots more people getting yeah. out and about in the open air, that if you kept trying to restrict them, they just wouldn't go with it. We have a very strong awareness of the understandable and very deep weariness that is now imbued in all of us because of how long this has gone on for. Uh, we can see it in, in our friends, in our family, in the eyes of those that we meet, how tough the last 14 months have been. But I do believe, and it is the case, that the vast majority of our country have continued to implement the guidance that we've given at different points. And as I said, if that continues, as weary as we are and as tired as we are, we can get to a point that we can put those emotions behind us and get to really more positive days. And I want to get to the economic issues yeah. later in this interview, but now I want to ask you about vaccinations because yes, the number of vaccinations is improving quite dramatically. There's talk from Paul Reid of doing 240,000 next week, but you're going to have to get, aren't you, to about 450,000 a week quite soon to meet your targets by the end of June. Is that really achievable? Uh, yes, it is. Uh, you are correct. Uh, over the last seven days, for example, we got to around 210 to 211,000 vaccinations over a seven-day period. We now have 30% of everybody who's over the age of 16 has received a vaccination. And that is the core reason that has influenced our confidence regarding the risks that are ahead. But we are going to have to scale up. We will have the people, we will have the technology, 
and we will have the places to do it. That's a hell of a scaling up, though, to go from 240,000, the plan next week, to 450,000. It is, but you would look at where we have been in recent weeks, and the key reason why our figures have been below 200,000 in recent weeks has been due to supply. We have been supply constrained. We are now expecting across the second quarter of this year that an additional 4.5 million doses of vaccine will come into Ireland. We know that we can va turn vaccines into vaccinations within seven days. 95% of all vaccines that come into Ireland are used in seven days. And even the figures that we've achieved now, we've got to this point, for example, without having to rely on our pharmacists to play a role. So it's been supply constrained to this point, Matt, and the amount of vaccine that's coming into Ireland will be increasing week by week, primarily due to the efforts of the European Union. And you've mentioned the importance of vaccinations, you've mentioned the importance of the walk-in test centres as well, but an awful lot of people believe that antigen testing would be an enormous additional benefit. In fact, you got a report at the start of the month, it was published, you'd had it before that, led by the Chief Scientific Advisor, Professor Mark Ferguson, and with some eminent doctors who were all encouraging you to go with antigen testing on a large scale. Why have you not done so? Well, as you know, we are actually making use of antigen testing. Over 10,000 antigen tests have been used now, primarily through the Department of Agriculture, to test over 20 sites across the country. So we are using antigen testing. But that's testing. minimal by comparison to what could be done. Well, across the period that we're discussing, we've also made far greater use of walk-in testing centres that have proved exceptionally helpful and useful in our efforts to trace the disease. So we've scaled up our use of them. But to your question, we are considering whether there can be a larger role for antigen testing in the coming weeks and months. And in particular, if I look at something that is so important to our society, which has been able to get our younger people back to higher and further education, we have to consider whether antigen testing can play a role there. So we have been using such testing but we have been accompanying that by greater use, for example, but, but why the caution? Why the caution when you have that report, which was commissioned, which some people thought maybe was delaying things, you delayed the publication, you have it when it strongly endorses the use, and yet you're talking about doing it at some stage in the future. What's the reasoning well, behind well, the caution? Well, just to be clear, I want to get out of this situation as quickly as possible. I will do, and the government will do, everything that we need to do to beat this disease, and we've demonstrated that to date. But yes, you're right, we do have a report from Mark Ferguson in relation to it. But we do now allow and do need all of our health experts to consider this and come back to government with their view in relation to it. And that's happening. OK, I want to go to the economy. So again, was a lot of this decision today driven by the pragmatism of a need to get the economy going again so as to allow businesses and individuals to create their own income and to have less dependence on the state, which may be running out of money? Well... We're not running out of money, and I'll come on to that in a moment, but the key reason behind the pace of opening today is where we are with vaccinations, the scale of them. We're vaccinating more people with vaccines that are working, and we're seeing the impact of that in mortality, and we're seeing the impact of that in fewer people in our hospitals. So that is the core reason why we are here today, in conjunction with the extraordinary resilience of our, of our country and our people in getting us to this point. To deal with your question of economic considerations, of course they are uh, profoundly important to me in any of the discussions that we have here. 
but we'll only have an economy that's sustainably open when we have our public health back. Uh, and uh, that is why the coming weeks are so important. Not everybody is happy though. There are some sectors who feel that they haven't been given a fair shake. Particularly 80% of restaurants and 70% of pubs have nowhere for outdoor dining or drinking. So when are they likely to be in a position to join their colleagues in reopening? The reason why they're not part of the early phase of decisions that have been made at the moment is exactly because of the question that you put to me earlier on. It is the fact that we still have around 400 cases that are happening every day. It is the fact that the quantity of cases we still have in our country are comparable to the last wave that we had to deal with. So that's the reason why we're taking it stage by stage. We will, and we're, look, we're going to do all we can to get to the issue of indoor dining in our restaurants and in our pubs. But we do know that indoor uh, dining environments can create health risks. And we will get, I hope, to be able to make a positive decision about those businesses when we're successful in implementing the current Yeah, phases. but then what about the contradiction that you are going to allow restaurants and hotels to be open as part of the hotel reopening? How can a hotel restaurant be safe if a non-hotel restaurant isn't? Uh, because for hotels, the number of uh, restaurants in hotels will only allowed, be allowed to have guests of the hotel in the restaurant, in the hotel. And by virtue of that, it is a more controlled environment uh, for dining and an environment in which we can minimise the risks more. Uh, if you look at where we are now, we will have outdoor dining. We will have outdoor dining in greater numbers than many would have expected. And if you look at all the correct reasons you raised earlier on with me regarding the need for caution, it's caution that guides doing this stage by stage. Okay, but what about the continuance of supports? I mean, how long will the government continue to provide the PUP and perhaps even more importantly, employment supports for those businesses that are opening up again? Well, the government have indicated that they will be in place uh, into June uh, and uh, there's still a number of weeks before we get to that point. We will make a decision, I believe, regarding at the end of May regarding the future of many of these supports. Uh, these are pandemic-related supports. But the effects of the pandemic are going to go on for quite a long time. Surely you just can't switch off these supports suddenly. Surely they're going to have to exist perhaps for the rest of the year while businesses try and re-establish themselves. I, I have no plans to switch these supports off suddenly. I said on a number of occasions there will not be a cliff edge where we go from having the supports to them being entirely gone. We are not going to do that. We're not going to do it because I appreciate how important the PUP is to over 402,000 people today. I appreciate that the wage subsidy scheme, for example, is keeping 300,000 people in a job or looking after the wages. I know all of that. Uh, and we, we, we realise how important they are to our society and to our economy. But we do have to get the balance right. These are emergency supports that were brought in for when the health emergency was here. They're pandemic supports for a time at which the pandemic was at its worst. And as we reopen our economy and as unemployment falls and employment increases, we will need to make decisions regarding the level of those supports. And what other decisions are going to have to be made in relation to getting other forms of taxation, perhaps, uh, to fill the gap? We're not going to be able to continuously borrow, are we, with a deficit? No, we won't. And I've been on this programme for many, many years, making the case for reducing our deficit, for balancing our books and moving into surplus. 
And it's because we did that, and it's because of the support of the Central Bank of Europe, we're able to do the measures that we have now. So that demonstrates the need to reduce your borrowing uh, over time, and we will need to commence that journey again. But to deal with your particular question there in relation to taxation, I produced an economic forecast there last week that's been shared with the European Union tomorrow, and that did show that if we are successful in getting our country back to work, and we believe, for example, that we will get uh, over 200,000 more new jobs in our country next year, if we're successful in getting our country back to work, and if we phase out the emergency supports when the health emergency begins to recede, those two things will have a huge effect on improving our national finances. I think Fine Gael would probably argue that some of the controversial Troika-era measures of austerity actually worked in re-establishing the economy. So if you feel that way, what ones would you repeat again for us? Um, but the big difference is, and again, I made the case for many of those decisions between 2011 and 2013, and I knew how difficult they were. We went into the crisis of 08 with our national finances and our economy at risk, with huge risks and difficulties within us. It is completely different this time. But is it? Is it? Because we're going to have about a quarter of a billion in public debts, aren't we? Uh, it's our 250 billion, excuse me, in public debts. And that is going to have to be repaid. Isn't that going to be one of the highest per capita in the world? It is. Uh, I was going to go on to make the point and say, even though it is completely different this time, because for two reasons, we went in with our national finances in a very good condition and because of the support of the Central Bank of Europe. But even though those things are very, very different, it does not mean it's consequence-free either. So you are correct. We will have a national debt of €238 billion Euro by the end of this year. That's over a quarter of a trillion euro. So we will need to reduce our borrowing over time. Growth, getting our country back to work, will play a really big part in doing all of that. There may well be a gap that then does mean that we have a level of borrowing we need to close beyond that. But it's not going to be anything like where we were a decade ago. OK, are you also, though, going to have to make enormous additional spending to rescue sectors such as public transport and, in particular, aviation? Because if we agree that aviation is essential to bringing inward investment to the country and to bringing tourist revenues when that comes back, what are you going to do when you see today the likes of Dublin Airport Authority having a loss of €238 million last year? Well, so to deal with each in turn, so firstly in relation to public transport, uh, what will make it the biggest difference to the viability of public transport is being able to uh, increase the capacity of public transport so we've more passengers on our buses, trains and Lewis's. And by doing that, we can reduce the emergency support going into our public transport companies. In relation to aviation, they're already receiving a huge amount of support off the taxpayer through our wage subsidy scheme through a very large loan that was made available to one company and also through the support that we've directly provided but to But that's only part covering a part of the losses that have been made. So yep. how, are they, how are these going to be revitalised so that they continue to provide the level and volume of services that they have previously on but, all the routes? But I'd flip it on its head. You're talking about how or suggesting that how can these sectors be revi revived through higher levels of support. For me, it's how can we get those sectors active again so that we can slowly reduce the level of support they need. So to deal with your question regarding aviation, the answer to that then is how we can participate in European policies in relation to this. 
like the digital green certificate, uh, so that we can be allow people who are vaccinated at the right time to be able to travel safely. And when do you think that's going to be? Is there a likelihood that people, and this is for their benefit, but also for the airline's benefit, <laughs> be able both. to take, take a summer holiday? What constitutes summer? July? August? Well, we all know what summer looks like, uh, and we all know what it feels like, and it's great to see the sun out today and the difference it can make. Uh, we have further work to do in relation to international travel. Uh, we're hoping to be able to do a lot of this work across May. What will be really important is the architecture at the EU level comes in so that we have a uniform way of being able to ensure that those who are travelling are travelling safely. That is going to take a little bit of work to do. Uh, in truth, I don't see international travel coming back in terms of holidays and so on for the coming weeks and months because we have a significant amount of work to do. Uh, but I do believe, for example, in what we're going to be able to do with domestic tourism, that we'll be able to find other ways in which we can offer a good summer to those who okay, deserve it. Okay, just to finish, personally, what are you looking forward to being able to do the most? Uh, God, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, so much. Where do I begin, Matt? Where do I begin? Uh, uh, off the top of the head at the moment, um, God, like, like so many, uh, I have uh, people within my family that I haven't seen now for a long time. I just can't wait to see them physically. Um, and uh, I can't wait uh, to be able to experience the so-called vaccination dividend within my own family. And for those who have now been vaccinated, uh, to be able to see them again normally and go back to that part of family life, be normal again. But Matt, I could go on all night about what I'm looking forward to. I'm sure you could too. Right, we'll have to leave it there. Our thanks to Minister for Finance, Pascal Donoghue, for joining us. After the break, is outdoors enough for pubs and restaurants? We'll hear from a core publican from whom there continues to be no end in sight. Welcome back. Well, we're now joined by human rights lawyer, a member of the independent scientific advocacy group, Simone George. Thank you very much for being with us. How encouraged are you by the decisions made by the government today? Um, I'm unfortunately not encouraged at all, Matt. Um, the numbers are still very high in the 400s. They are higher than they were before we went into the so-called meaningful Christmas that the government offered and we saw how that ended. And so my concern today is while I want to myself to get out of this long, endless living with COVID lockdown that we've been in for most of the last 13 months, I want to do so with the certainty that we'll stay out of lockdown. And with the, the numbers this high in public health doctors struggling to contain outbreaks, it doesn't look good for us staying out of lockdown and not ending up back there in six, eight, ten weeks, however long it takes for the virus to run through those who are not yet vaccinated. But isn't and this time not... different in that we have a much smaller number who are actually going into hospital, into ICUs, who are dying, that those who were most vulnerable in previous outbreaks, the elderly and those with high health risks, have in the main part been vaccinated. So doesn't that make things different this time and justify the government's decision? I think that's a very depressing way to look at it because not only have most of our elderly and some of our vulnerable people been vaccinated, but many of them have died, nearly 7,000. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony 
the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you? If people send you the same generic conversation starters, they message everyone else. Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Thousand people have died on this shared island because of the failure of the government to eliminate this virus and instead to keep us in this in and out like a fiddler's elbow uh, level of lockdown that that only really protects a certain amount of people and then deprives them of their liberty and puts them at terrible suffering. And to start that again with this now meaningful summer that we've been um, offered today, it does a terrible disservice to uh, the people who've put up with so much over the last year and to the families of the people who've, who've died from those failures. But even the public health experts in Enfit have not advocated a zero COVID strategy. They didn't believe that it could actually work. And they would argue that what they have done has had some benefits and left us in a position whereby we can restart things again for the benefit of the economy, for the benefit of society. Do you think that this restart is going to be permanent? Do you think that we're going to not see the cases that are in the 400s and are still climbing keep climbing? But isn't it also the case that if you took a zero approach to everything, you wouldn't let people into cars in case they had traffic accidents. You wouldn't allow people to smoke in case they got cancer. You wouldn't allow people to drink because of the numbers who end up dying as a result of alcohol-related issues every single day. That there's always balances that have to be achieved. Well, we of course let people into cars, but we have airbags on side impact bars and we don't strap our children into cars unless they're in car seats and they're strapped in before we, we drive off. I think we've, we ought to have learned what happened with the so-called meaningful Christmas and the four months that we have been in this living with COVID lockdown that has done very little to bring the numbers down to the levels that we were at when we opened last summer. We were very close to zero last summer. Um, we actually achieved this. The Irish people achieved this. And now the goodwill um, towards the government has been spent because we have um, not seen any of the reward from that. Simone George, thank you very much for joining us. Well, we're joined in studio now by Fianna Fáil's Timmy Dooley and Sinn Féin's Louise O'Reilly. What about those points, Timmy Dooley? Is there not perhaps a little bit in the haste to get things open up again, the potential for making the same mistakes that we did previously? No, I don't think so. The government have taken the advice of Enfit, um, who have you know, continuously been very cautious right from the start. Um, and I think that's you know, where the Irish people are at. In fact, they're I think the Irish people are, are, are ahead at this stage because the reality is they recognise that the rollout of the vaccine has protected the most vulnerable. Uh, Hospitalisation numbers are down. Those going through to ICU are down. 
um, and people's lives are being saved. And that's principally because of the vaccine. And also, I think you know, society has learned a lot from, 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 from this pandemic. Social distancing is now going to be very much a part of uh, life even after COVID. People will be continuing to wear masks. So a lot of the kind of protections that Simone talked about will be very much a feature throughout the summer. But people will be able to get out. They will be able to experience uh, a summer in Ireland. They will have access to hospitality. And that's what the people want. See, but sorry, it's, it's it's not, what about the risk of having another experience like we had last Christmas, as Simone spoke about? I, I, I have to only take the advice of, of Enfit. Uh, and they're suggesting quite clearly that the rollout of the vaccine is going to protect the most vulnerable. And whilst there will still be transmission of the virus, I think we all accept that that it won't have the harmful effects that it has in the past because the levels of protection were not there. The okay. vaccine affords a protection now that we didn't have last, last Christmas. Um, you know, it is expected that over 80% uh, of the population over 18 will be vaccinated uh, by the end of June, or perhaps it runs in a week or two into July. And that affords a phenomenal level of protection against... Uh, Louise Riley, is Sinn Féin supportive of the measures announced by the government today, or would you share some of those concerns that have just been expressed? Well, I think one of the very interesting points made by Simone in relation to... Because you made, mentioned uh, travelling in cars and, and she mentioned airbags. and uh, you know, So there are things that can be done and should be done to mitigate the, the risk all of the time. So something which Sinn Féin has advocated and has been very consistent on is the need to get tested trace right because now actually as we open up it is even more important that we have test and trace in place and that we can hunt down the virus wherever it is ensure that people are isolated i do think I'm sorry do you, you see know, a role for antigen testing in that because i was pressing 100%. the minister for finance yeah. on that and the government has seemed reluctant to push at that and i don't know why i, I, I genuinely don't know where that reluctance comes from nobody is suggesting see anytime when you, when you mention this to government they say oh but it's not a panacea because nothing's a panacea but it is part of a very very important jigsaw. So yes, antigen testing is important. Getting testing and tracing is really, really important. I mean, we have never achieved the government, or the government, sorry, have never achieved their targets in relation to uh, the recruitment of people to work on test and trace. That's really important. That's going to help. So I do take on board what Simone said, but I'm also mindful of the fact, one, that we would be outdoors, two, that the vaccination programme is, is underway, albeit uh, with, with 27 different plans and missed targets, but it is underway. Uh, you know, and three, that we can mitigate and should be doing more to mitigate the risk. OK, of course, not everybody can be outdoors. And we're joined now by Michael O'Donovan of the Castle Inn in Cork City. Uh, he's the Cork City and County Chairperson of the Vintners Federation of Ireland. And I think you're one of the many publicans, aren't you, who simply just does not have the capacity to offer outdoor drinking. Yes, Matt, unfortunately, I'm landlocked uh, my premises so and the footpath on the public side of my premises is too small for me to go outdoors. Um, we'd have about 30% of our members will only have the capacity to go outdoors. So in catering for the summer staycation market, um, look, the numbers uh, that we'll be able to access will be lower than what would be uh, um, anticipated, I suppose, going on holidays in Ireland. When do you have hopes for being able to let people into your bars or would it actually be safe to allow people into indoor drinking establishments? Yeah, look, Matt, I suppose, firstly, uh, when do we anticipate it? We'd hope that the government would follow the the, the roadmap that was rolled out in Northern Ireland, um, where it was three and a half weeks between outdoor and indoor. So we'd be hoping something similar may happen here um, from the time that we do go outdoors. 
Also, look, most of the traditional bars in Ireland are small family-run enterprises. So we take great pride in our premises and looking after our customers. We know most of our customers. Um, and what we saw last September when we were opened, most of our customers felt very safe in our premises. So we'd be hoping that we'd be given the opportunity, just like our hotel colleagues, that will be able to open indoors as soon as possible. And what about things like the nine euro substantial meal, the 105 minutes allowed on the premises? They seem to be gone. How useful will that be to you? Yeah, look, it, that, it's great that they're gone. We've, we campaigned all last summer and we told the government that it was creating a divide in, our, uh, in the pub trade between those that could and couldn't. And look, it, it's very welcome that that has been taken out. And, uh, and look, we look forward to all pubs opening together when we can go indoors along with restaurants. So it's great for us that we can look forward to hopefully getting back to our trade as soon as possible. Well, one last one to you, Michael. You mentioned the restaurants and the Restaurants Association of Ireland are very unhappy this evening. Adrian Cummins saying that 80% of restaurants simply cannot offer the outdoor dining and also being really upset at the idea that hotels will be allowed to offer food, but that other restaurants won't. Uh, what do you make of that? Yeah, look, it's it's disappointing that we're not, not all opening together. But I suppose the other view is, look, it, it's, it's a good uh, benchmark that we can look at the hotels and see how they're going for the for a couple of weeks that they're open with indoor dining. And hopefully if there's nothing uh, in no instances, no spikes coming out of that, that the government will review it uh, in late June with a view for us uh, opening indoors in July, hopefully. Thank you very much for joining us, Michael. What about that point, Timmy Dooley? Is that fair to all the restaurateurs of Ireland to be told your premises aren't safe, but the ones in hotels are? Yeah, it's a difficult one. Uh, and if you were to wait until later, until it was safe for everybody to open, you would be denying uh, the Irish people who, who want to get out, want to, want to have the experience uh, of having a meal, albeit outside. So it's a difficult one to balance the needs and expectations of everyone. But I think, as Michael has identified, there will be an opportunity to move more quickly, one would hope, for indoor dining uh, and the consumption of alcohol, depending obviously on the continued rollout of the vaccine at the pace that it's expected uh, and hoping that there isn't a new variant. And I think if you look at in the round what the government have done, they're taking a cautious approach. It's a step-by-step -step approach. And for sure, you know, not every business is going to benefit uh, at, at the beginning, and there will more of them be coming online uh, over the weeks and months ahead. And that's why the state supports need to be continued Louise, to assist this, those businesses that are closed. Is this, even though it's inconsistent, the right thing to do to make sure that we get the hotel business back up and going again for the summer? I think it's very important that we get the hotel business back up because there are literally tens of thousands of jobs dependent on that. OK, so uh, absolutely. I do think, though, and this is something um, that, that you, you hear when you talk to people, it's inconsistencies that drive people bananas. And I'll give you an example. I was in Kinsale last summer. We went out, beautiful meal in the in the town. We dined outside because those were the rules. Uh, and we sat next to a lovely family. And then we went back to our hotel that evening. We had dinner and we sat indoors beside the same family. So that inconsistency, I think that, that makes people, uh, that confuses people. And, you know, I think if the, if the decision is made that indoors is safe, well, then I think what they need to do in the first instance is just show, share with the Restaurants Association, share with the VFI, share with the other representative groups. How is it that it is safer? What is the epidemiological evidence? Just share that with them and let them, and let them know. Because I think when you have that level of inconsistency, I think that drives people mad, actually. And it, it makes people, uh, you know, it, it puts one business against another. 
that said, and Michael made the point, you know, there is some value in uh, in, in those groups going out ahead so that there can be And can you see the pubs been open four weeks later? Well, I think it depends on the vaccine programme to a large extent. I mean, if you look at what's happening in the north, they have their vaccine programme. Their um, 30-year-olds are getting vaccinated in the north at the moment. Their vaccine programme is well ahead, and that is what's enabling them to accelerate in some areas. Now, cautiously, I have to say cautiously, because caution is the watchword, they, but they are accelerating reopening. So if the vaccination targets are going to be hit, and bearing in mind they haven't as yet been hit, I don't think, for any week, but let's, you know, let's say they are, um, well, then in the event that the vaccination programme is proceeding at the pace that they think it will, and offering those protections, well, then I do believe, yes, that, uh, you know, that there might be acceleration might be possible, but that has to be based on scientific evidence. It can't be based on me saying here, well, I, you know, what I think or what I feel or what I want. It has to be based on scientific evidence. And I do think the government needs to be fair well, let me to restaurants and on this. share that information. Scientific evidence away from the restaurants. But a lot of people are confused by the idea that you can meet up in a group of 15 outside in a public park but you're not allowed to have more than six people together in your garden. Yeah, and I think the idea of, and I had some representation about it already, uh, and the concern is that there are people who walk together, there's walking groups, there's the capacity of 15 to operate in a, a training pod, as it were, based on some sport activity uh, that might be outdoors. Um, whereas I think the, the, the idea of a number of people coming together from a family within a garden is a social environment, and it's expected to be a social environment. And I think the 15 outside is seen somewhat different. Okay, I want to ask both of you in the time we've left about the aviation sector, which yeah. are important to your local areas. Would you encourage foreign holidays for as soon as possible, if only even to get the aircraft full of people travelling? It's not about necessarily encouraging foreign holidays. It's about getting the aviation sector back again. It's effectively getting the, the connectivity in place and for essential travel to be allowed uh, in operation. Uh, I would be of the view that the first thing that needs to happen from the aviation side of things is to get the mandatory hotel quarantine, uh, you know, an end in sight for that. And I think the aviation sector need to be given you know, information and guidance as to when that's expected to come to an end. Why, are you against think, your government's no, own policy now on this? I haven't, been, I haven't this. been against it, but I think that I always was concerned that there wouldn't be a sunset clause, and I think we need to see that. I think the aviation sector needs certainty as to when it's coming to an end. And yes, I think towards the end of the summer, we should be able to travel within Europe. because if And this is where I have concerns with the Very government, briefly. and I, I've made it clear. The, as Europe brings in the Digital Green Cert, and it's due to commence towards the end of June, I think we've got to sign up to that from the very start. I don't think we should be taking a wait and see. I think we accept we're part of the European Union and that people have the freedom to what travel do you make of that, with this particular we do. We do absolutely need uh, to sign up to the Digital Green Certificate. Um, it's not, um, you know, again, it will facilitate travel within the European Union and I think that's really, really important. The Sunset Clause is also important to give certainty to the aviation sector. Let's not forget, it's the hundreds of thousands of jobs that are dependent on it and it's also the connectivity. I mean, when we lost route previously, I'm thinking of Dublin to, to Los Angeles, it took us eight years to get that route back. So we absolutely need to protect aviation, to protect our connectivity and to, to protect those jobs. And I think the, the Digital Green Cert is a very good way to start because that will kickstart movement within Europe. And then when it is safe to do so, we will be able to open up
up airbridges. I heard the Tonish to talk about this previously. Airbridges from here to other countries with similar levels of vaccination, similar similar levels of virus. Those are the things that we need to see. But I do think that there needs to be a very deep engagement with the aviation sector and a plan because they need a plan, not just a plan for today, but a plan for their recovery. Remarkable level of agreement from both of you tonight. Thank you very much, Timmy Dooley and Louise O'Reilly for joining us. But after the break, after months of mixed messages, will tonight's announcement put the government back in the public's good books? Alison O'Connor and Fanon Sheehan will be with us next. Welcome back. Well, we're joined now via Skype by the Ireland editor with independent news and media, Finan Sheehan, and here in studio by broadcaster and columnist Alison O'Connor. And Alison, a lot of big announcements today. What's your read of the public mood as a result of it? Well, I think people are, I suppose, how could you feel anything but a bit of relief uh, and the fact that there's more than people would have expected. And I think any Vox Pop that I heard today, and I heard a number of them, you know, people were genuinely pleased. Um, but I mean, I suppose you can only also speak for your... I'm surprised at my own reaction. I actually feel quite trepidatious. In now, what way? In having, what? having been dying for this moment, and the last time I was on this programme, I remember saying how my inner culture was roaring. I was dying to get out of Dublin for a few days and, and head home to, to West Cork. And now I do feel, while I feel huge relief... Um, I do feel a little sense of anxiety about... I Why, have you I've, become captive or something? Maybe I existence? have. Maybe it's a form of Stockholm syndrome in my own home. Um, but I suppose it's after what happened at Christmas. I mean, obviously it's totally different now with the, the, with the vaccines and the fact that it's the summer and everything. Um, but it's getting used to getting back into society. You know, we're, I think we're all going to, to feel a little bit, little bit of that and we're going to feel a little bit of anxiety. It is, it is going to take, take us time to, you know, to go back to the way life used to be. And even at that, we're being told this will not be like the way life used to be. You know, we still have to be very careful. Financian, the government's popularity has dropped quite dramatically over the last six months or so after initial acceptance for the things that had to be done. Could this be a turning point for the three parties in the coalition that they will get more public acceptance as restrictions are eased? The answer to that is, if it works, yes. Um, it was rather brave of Michal Martin to, to be quoting Sean O'Reardon, who has some some great lyrical phrases in his poetry about the, the Irish weather, and, and the whole, and so on. The, the whole plan seems to be predicated around the idea that we will have a good uh, Irish summer and that, that people will be able to mix and mingle and travel uh, around the country. So that's a bit of a, a gambit. The, the, it's also obviously predicated upon the vaccine rollout uh, continuing and the level of compliance that, that people have shown uh, continuing throughout the, the summer months. Alison is right. There is an element now of people feeling institutionalised, being fearful of what, what happens next, worrying that the, the easing off of restrictions at Christmas will now come back to bite us again. Or on the flip side, they'll actually be hoping, yeah, well, let's hope that this works. But then there are further problems down the line, such as returning to, to, to the, the long commute, heading back into work, moving away from, from working at home for some people. That will be, that'll be a, a, a big deal. So there is an element of fear uh, even about 
normality kicking in here. From a, gov from a government perspective, though, you could see uh, watching even Stephen Donnelly arri arriving into government buildings today, not feeling under siege, uh, having this, this sense that he was announcing something positive, you will only get, uh, you can only but get a rise uh, in, in fortunes off the back of that. Because ultimately, you saw in your previous conversation with Louise O'Reilly, there's nobody really on the opposition side disagreeing with anything that's happening here. There's nobody seriously coming out uh, with with a, a more improved plan uh, of, of genuinely saying, well, you should just be throwing it all open at this stage or we should be sticking with the lockdown. Okay, well, let's the, go back the, to Alison. On the opposition benches, they're largely going along with it. Alison, of course, we've seen in the UK, Boris Johnson's government has benefited from having a prompt vaccine rollout, despite being possibly responsible for up to 150,000 COVID-related deaths. So will the Irish electorate, you think, be as forgiving, or will they really depend on how fast and how well the continuing vaccine rollout goes? Well, I mean, I think if those were the rules by which, it, you know, things were, were engaged in, you know, that would, if we were to compare ourselves to the, the Boris Johnson government and how things went there, and even this, this supposed quote of, you know, let the bodies pile high rather than, than us having another lockdown, well, then our government should be absolutely soaring into the stratosphere. Um, but as I'm sure they would ruefully tell you, things don't work like that. I thought looking at Micheál Martin this evening, he looked like he wanted to break out into a big smile as he gave that speech. And who could blame him? I mean, I mean, the man has had nothing since he came into government buildings, really, but bad news to tell us. And I think even at Christmas when he was announcing, the, you know, the easing of restrictions, they knew that there was still there was a lot of danger there. Um, and I think that you saw that within the government, actually, um, there wasn't too much leaking this time. Yes, there was stuff that came out in the last 24 hours, but even in terms of, we'll say, the Taunister and that sort of one-upmanship that's been there, you didn't have that. And even at the press conference afterwards, um, there was very, the, the, the Taoiseach was very much the one in charge. And I was quite, at one point, I actually wondered whether the Taunister was still there, you know, because, uh, so I think that shows a more, a more unified front. Um, but it all does hang now on, on the vaccine supplies. And every time you were going to, you see a minister, now they're being asked about that and a lot of it they don't have control of I mean to be fair there is that thing once the vaccines arrive in they're put in pretty quickly but you've the issue now of if we do get the amount that they're hoping will we be able to to, to gear it up to those incredible numbers and it is an interesting point the, the idea that we haven't had the pharmacists previously that they will obviously make a big difference to to the volume uh, and I the Thonish to said in the, within the last hour he was saying he didn't see a reason why the 40, people in their 40s couldn't also be done at the same time as people in their 50s with the Johnson & Johnson. So that really would ramp it up. OK, we have a political by-election coming as well, Dublin based South after the resignation of Owen Murphy as a TD this week. When would you expect that now to happen, Fanon? And do you think, will it be run on the basis of support or not for the government on the success of the vaccination strategy? <laughs> I mean, by-elections have got so many individual factors that, that come into play that you can, you can never really pinpoint one aspect. I mean, the, even the rule about governments always lose by-elections have been, have been broken uh, within, within the, the, the past decade uh, on, on two occasions. So I would expect it to happen. Obviously, it has to happen within the, the next six months as a result uh, of the Pierce Doherty uh, court ruling. Uh, of just over a decade ago. So they have between now and effectively the end of October. We've had a, a series of, by of, of rather crucial by-elections over the years. In that October-November uh, 
period, and you're still going to enter that that uh, by election with the, the the coalition parties being quite firmly uh, in the in the driving seat in terms of anybody winning but Fine Gael is is a is a shock. So yeah, it, it'll be if it's anything but Fine Gael, uh, winning, it it turns into well, this is an anti-government uh, result. If it's Fine Gael winning, then it it doesn't get interpreted in terms of the vaccines and and uh, the 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 pandemic. It's just taken for granted that Fine Gael were going to hold on to okay. to their own seat. So it, it'll obviously depend upon the result upon the day will be will be interpreted in in that regard. But well, it's that not gives really us something one. to look forward to for a little bit of political yeah. entertainment later in the year, uh, which isn't COVID dominated. We look forward to having other things to discuss on the program. And that is all we have time for tonight. Our thanks to Fanon Sheehan and Alison O'Connor for joining us. I'll be back on Today FM tomorrow afternoon, and then back here next Tuesday night at 10 p.m. Until then, have a great bank holiday weekend. Enjoy yourself. Thanks for watching and have a very good night. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.